Good morning. How's everybody doing? I feel like we have a bit of an unbalanced line right now with a lot of people on this side. And, you know, so y'all are going to have to be my cheering section, be a little bit louder today than this side over here. Um, I just feel like it'd be better if we could even it out, but I'm not going to make you move chairs or anything like that. But um, uh, it, it, it kind of shocked me. I looked over here and I come, I'm like, whoa, there's everybody decided to sit over here, non-social distanced. And so this whole side's going to have to be in quarantine for like three weeks. I mean, it's going to be great. Hey, we've uh, had a really good time with this series. I, I have particularly um, because I, I feel that there are just a ton of myths in the world of Christianity that, that really center around just a couple of concepts. Um, we, uh, and, and really the, the concept that I think is most pervasive in the church today, especially the Western church, is the concept of individualism and consumerism. Individual, individualism and consumerism. And it, and it plays out in a, a variety of different ways. Like um, the consumerism aspect, and I've, I've talked about this a little bit, shows up in this idea of, um, Pastor, you've got to preach a message that is excellent every single week, that applies to me every single week. And if you're not on for consecutive weeks in a row, we're out. Have you ever, have you ever done that where you're like, Boy, the preacher's really been off. I mean, like, really been off lately. Why don't we go check out this church? Because I just feel something in my spirit, right? There's that consumeristic thing and individualistic thing that, that we all bring into church. And, 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 and really, it's a, it's a product, as a student of history, it is a product of individualism running rampant in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, I, I cited in a paper once that in the 70s, um, the, a writer in the, 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 not New York Times, but the, um, uh, the New York Daily News, not Daily News, but the, the journal, basically the, I, I forget the name of the magazine, New York, New York Magazine, duh. So he writes this article about this generation of me-centric people that are beginning to affect the nation at large, and that happened in the 70s, this individualistic expression um, really hasn't been where the church is at its best. Really, individualistic expression really hasn't been where we as a nation are at our best. Think about it this way. When we won wars like the Civil War, there was a community gathered together for a cause, Right? Even the revolution, going all the way back to the 1700s, it was a community gathered together for a, a cause. World War I, World War II were the examples. The difference started happening when we, when we started going into Vietnam and individualism started to raise its head and no longer were we gathered together as a community for a cause. But we started thinking more about ourselves. And the impact of the world on ourself than us gathering together as a community. And that's trickled into the church ever since the late 70s, 80s, 90s. And so what we see as church right now is more of this focus on individualism and consumerism rather than this community expressing the glory of God together. 
So I want to take us back to a couple weeks ago when we had Snowmageddon. Remember Snowmageddon? Uh, some of you don't remember Snowmageddon because last week we reached the 80s. And you're like, thank God for Texas weather again. I'm not sure why I'm sick. It might be because the weather went from minus 2 to 78 in one day. I mean, that might be why you have the sniffles right now. But I started talking about this in Snowmageddon of what we're actually called to first. What, is, what are we collectively called to? And it plays out in this, this way. We're called to first things, then next things. So let me explain what first things are because I'm sure when we didn't have church a couple weeks ago and we went online, I'm sure that 100% of our congregation clung to every single word I preached that day because you had nothing else to do. I'm sure. I'm being really sarcastic here, right? We're called to first things. That's what this series has really all been about. We're called to follow Jesus, and really we're called to follow Jesus in the first things. But we flip the order and we go, no, no, I want to know how to follow Jesus in the next things. What's God calling me to do individually, right? I deal with that a lot as a pastor. What is God calling me to do, pastor? How can I use my gifts here? What is it, what, what is this church, how is this church going to benefit me? And so the, we're really, what, when I started this series, I really wanted to dive into what we're primarily called to, and those are first things. The first things play out in, in the gifts, uh, in, in the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes this, in Galatians, and if you're a Sunday school person or a Bible quizzer, you should know them by heart. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul lays it out. Now, when Paul writes a list, he's never writing an all-encompassing list, but the point is, is that when you are called, when, when Christ calls you, when you repent of your sins, then you immediately go into this development period where God develops you internally. This is what I would call the first things. Like, I don't think you can be a Christian for a long, 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 long time and not have the Holy Spirit start doing something with your patience. Right? I mean, maybe. Now, some of you are like, but you haven't seen my driving. And so I don't think the Holy Spirit's working on me with my driving because I have no patience there. I lay on the horn. I change lanes rapidly. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an impatient person. Yeah, we're all going to be fallible in these areas, but we all should be developing growth in these areas as well. I shouldn't look as impatient with people as I did five years ago. I shouldn't be out of control like I was when I first got saved. Right? There's this call to follow him in the first things, which is character development, right? But there's a second call, a second piece to that first things that I really didn't hone down on a whole lot uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that is we're called to each other. You see, when I explore the Bible about this idea of individual gifts, an individual calling. When I look at the scripture, it, the Bible speaks very little about those things. But what we do is we, we take a character in the Bible, say David. And we look at David and how David had a bunch of mighty men. And how David took a slingshot and killed the giant, right? 
and how David served as king. And we're like, that's what calling or following Jesus really looks like. Me doing something grandiose like David. Or Peter. Or Paul. Or John. Or Mary. Peter, Paul, John, and Mary. Right? I think that's a 60s band, but I'm not sure. But the idea is we, we look at these individuals and we go, that's the model of what it means to follow Jesus. But we forget that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon millions in the Bible that are just identified as a group. The biblical record really condemns more self-expression, then it praises self-expression. That doesn't mean you lose your individual identity, but maybe it does. Because we're all supposed to be identified with Christ. I wasn't going to venture into this realm, but I, 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 I will. I'm feeling a little froggy today. So, I had a question asked to me once from somebody who struggles with the sin of homosexuality. And they go, Pastor, can I still get into the kingdom of God if I struggle with this temptation? Here's my answer. Here's always been my answer. Yes, but we're all called to die to something... And we're never called to identify with our sin. We're all called to identify with Christ. So, like, I don't believe, and who knows, Facebook may shut this down, YouTube may shut this down, but, you know, I'm feeling froggy. I don't believe in anything called a, a, a gay Christian. I believe... In a Christian who identifies with Christ, but is still wrestling and battling with their sin. Does that make sense? And, but what we've done is we've placed individualism and individual expression as a God amongst every other God. And what we're called, I will. <laughs> and what we're really called to is this first Things. Let God develop you and let him develop you in the context of a local community, of the family of God, of the household of God, as Paul would say. So here's the thing. We're going we're gonna to talk about some individual callings because God doesn't say you don't have one. We all have gifts and talents and abilities that we're going to use for the glory of God. But... It's all within the context of a community. So I have people who come in every now and then. As a pastor, this happens. It's happened over the last 25 years. Pastor, I have a gift to use within this church. Okay, so I run people through a litmus test, right? You have a gift. Yes, pastor, I have a gift of teaching. Okay, you have a gift of teaching. Great. Again, we've got this big family thing coming in the church. We want snow cones. We want you to be a part of it. We want you to serve. Ah, I can't do that. Well, then 
here, I'm going to be very candid. Then you do not have a gift, period. You are a selfish baby. Oh, gosh. But it's true. It's true. It's just true. Pastor, I want to be elevated with my gift. Okay, but we need you to serve. I can't do that. See, Paul condemns this idea in his writings. He talks about these super apostles who are walking around, and the idea of these super apostles is they, and this is true, I'm not making this up, but they would puff out their chest. They would be bronzed with tanner. I'm not, I'm not lying, I'm not making it up. They looked like a version of George Hamilton, if you know who that is. At times they would display their hairy chest and they would be these great, orators and people were going that must be it we must follow these guys because look how awesome they look and Paul's going no 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 you use your gifts within the context of the community and it's not to the elevation of one over the other if you truly have a gift it is for the development of people in this room that's what your gifts are Four. So when we're called to the first things, we're called for this development of character in our soul, in our heart. God is purifying us inside out. And then we're called to one another. The pastor, the Bible says, prove it. Prove it that we're supposed to have this grandiose, individualistic calling that doesn't work within the context of a community. I can't find anything in the scripture that really points to that. Rather, I see a testimony of a body of believers working together for the common good. And the common good is the spread of the gospel, not the spread of your ministry. Amen. It's about him, Jesus and him crucified. So we're called to the first things. This is just my introduction, and I'm exhausted now. But we, we, we do, individuals do have callings. These are next things, right? So I, I've been in ministry since I was 18 years old. Now, there were times that I, I took some breaks. There was times I found myself digging ditches as a plumber. But I have been in and out of ministry since I was 18. I'm 45, so almost 30 years, right? And what I've realized is the next things don't get developed apart and separate from the first things. Right? So I'm, I'm, looking, at, I'm looking at young Rhett here, who's an intern in our church, and Rhett's, where are you, 19 or 20? 20. So Rhett's 20, and he's an intern. He has a calling to do ministry. Right? Do you know that sometimes ministry looks like for him, I'm being completely candid, is here's a paintbrush, Rhett, knock yourself out. It's still that way for me. I, I, I did some spray painting in the building this week, and I literally almost knocked myself out. I was high as a kite. It was terrible. <laughs> or was it? I don't know. But, uh, you, um, 
But Rhett has this understanding. He's going to do well in ministry because he has an understanding that the first things are the most important things. Not necessarily his vocational calling. That's going to come in time, but it's going to come in the context of a community. It's going to come in the context of a loving, nurturing community that looks at him and goes, okay, Rhett, I, I need you to teach on this day in this class. And then somebody's sitting with him and going, Rhett, okay, how do you think it went? Where did you struggle? How did you struggle? So first things are character development and being called within the context of the community. And as that happens, next things begin to develop. So how do next things, how do you really know the next things? Well, I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's passion plus location equals vocation, right? What are you passionate about? What do you love doing? I've used this illustration with Kevin Kelly before. Kevin Kelly loves doing technical things. And he's figured out how to take that passion, how to take that love for technical things and does some amazing things back at the back with the size congregation that we have. Monty's the same way. He's, he has a passion for sound engineering and technical things, and he's figured out how to take that and use it in the context of his location where God's placed him. And voila, there's a vocation within the church. So it's passion plus location equals vocation. Okay, so we talked about that, and passion is a desire to do something that's a no-brainer. Location is place and opportunity. The older I get, the older I get, the more I realize that if you're in this room, now you may be a guest with us this week, and that's okay, but if you're in this room, and you've been attending for any number of days, or weeks, or months, or years, then God has called you to be a part of this place. I really believe that. If you're listening to my voice and you've called this your home, then God's called you to this place. Now, does that mean everything's going to be perfect? Of course not. Everything's not perfect in my family. Just isn't. Yesterday, we get home from a lacrosse tournament that Ellie's playing in, and I'm tired, and Rachel looks at me and she says, will you help me clean the house? Everything wasn't perfect then. <laughs> I wanted to eat some ice cream, watch a little bit of TV, and take a nap. And so I lovingly go, uh, I guess. Right? Not everything's going to be perfect in the place. But that's the point of the place. There's a phrase in the Proverbs that says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. You know that phrase? Have you ever seen iron sharpened? Is it gentle? Is it smooth? Is it nice? No, it's rough and it creates sparks. So when you're called to a place, everything's not going to be perfect. But as you stay at that place, God's working on you in the first things because you're having to be patient with the pastor who is destroying things in this cafe or you have to be patient with the person you're sitting next to. You have to be patient and have self-control and love and what happens is God smoothing out these rough edges in you. But individualism comes in 
and says, I don't like that. I want it to stop. So I need to go use my gift somewhere else. And what happens is, I don't know if this is politically correct, but please hear me. We are stunted Christian little people, never able to fully mature. I don't don't like having to have all this friction, so I'm going to go over here. This feels good for a little bit. And then conflicts happen. I don't like it. I got to go over here. I don't like it. I got to go over here. And you never, you never, you never mature. And what's the consequence of you not maturing? A church that is anemic in the world. A church that is not making a difference in the culture and community around it. And we sit back and we go, this world is going to hell. Yes, and it's our fault. Because we've never allowed ourselves to mature and develop. Boy, that's really good stuff. That's a great, amen. That's awesome. Pastor, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay. I got it. You don't like it. You're not interested in the rest. Thank you. There we go. Okay, thanks. I'll whisper the rest of the sermon where you're like, is this thing on? I don't, can I turn that up? Okay. But there is this, this, this passion and location which equals vocation, which is really what we're going to camp out in today by talking to um, some of the pastors on staff. And so I think, Kevin, if you will tell me, I think we have Andy and Brinley on the big screen. Andy and Brinley, are you there? Would have been great. Hi. Hold on hello, just a hello, second. Hello. Are we ready? Hey, there you are. Hey, guys. How's it going? I don't know if you know this, but people gave you a very tepid applause. Um, I, so, I, I heard a huge applause. I was excited. Yeah, a very, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Can we turn them up just a little bit? So Andy and Brindley, y'all have been in ministry how long? Full time since 2011 years. Yeah. 11 years. And today you're not interviewing at another church. You're helping your parents move to some sort of ranch, right? Yeah. Right? Yep. Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. It made me nervous for a second. Now we, we have a little bit of delay, but I wanted to ask you all two questions today. Um, and, and, and because people get tired of hearing me and hearing about me, I want to ask you specifically about your calling. How old were you, each of you, when you first felt like you were called to full-time occupational ministry? I was 14 years old. You're 14 years old. So, Brinley, how old were you? Um, I, I don't have a moment. I just wanted to be a preacher when I was a little kid and wanted to get a real job in high school. And then God brought me back to ministry again. Okay. So you've been in ministry for 11 years. Um, you felt like you were called when you were 14, Andy. Describe that for me. What did you feel? What did you hear? What did you see? What did you think? Yeah, so the context of it would have been, I mean, I grew up in a family that we were basically part-time staff members already. We are always church serving. But it was at a youth convention, and I think the way you taught passion plus location, uh, it would have been God just inserting the 
great match. And, uh, and I wouldn't have been able to fully articulate it or describe what it would, what the outcome would be. But it was just a desire to serve the church, to serve the ministry, to do something more as, as a kind of the kingdom of God. So you're, you're breaking up a little bit, but I'll just kind of recap. You, you felt a passion at a youth convention, and your desire, hear this, your desire was to serve a church and serve the kingdom of God. Yes. So through that process, y'all have been to different places. You've been in Oklahoma. You've been in North Carolina. You've been in Texas. Your, your path almost follows ours a little bit. We've been in Oklahoma, North Carolina, uh, Alabama, and Texas, right? That's it? Where? And Georgia. Georgia. I forget about Georgia. That was a terrible experience. So um, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so how did you make a decision when it was time for you to change a location? There are lots of times where we weren't sure at the time. We're, we tried to force doors sometimes. It just happened. It didn't work. Uh, and then when the time was right, Things lined up. Things just fell into place, and we felt we knew it was right. We prayed, I fasted, and uh, it was just clear that it was it was the right choice. Um, yeah. Um. Here, when we before we came here, we weren't actually looking for a job, but we had two different people that we knew come up to us separately about this, and so we prayed about it and really had peace. So a lot of times we've we've known when those doors, we weren't even looking for them, they open, and it's just kind of like God uh, just gives you this peace and you know, and then other times, um, in other situations, we've had to just say, God, we're praying, and we're going to make the best decision we can, because we've got to keep moving forward, but, but you know, here we really had a lot of peace coming forward, so it's been different every situation, for sure. So you went through a process of maybe analyzing where you're at, asking questions. Is it time? Yeah. Am I just tired? Do I, am I just ticked off? You kind of went through a filter yeah. before you made that leap. Yeah, we never wanted to just eject from somewhere because it was hard or because we were upset or someone else was upset. We never, and so we always tried to evaluate it and pray and, and make sure it was the right thing. And we always call people that we... Um, look up to that have been a part of our lives and say, this is, this is what's going on. What do you think? And they, you know, allowing people to speak into our lives. Um, has, when we've allowed that. Has been okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, I know you're busy moving your family, helping them move to some sort of ranch. And so I know that probably you're, yeah, exactly. I know that you're are, are, are nicely dressed probably from the waist up, but then you have your work clothes on underneath. But so we're going to let you go. But uh, thank you all for kind of joining us via satellite. Everybody say bye to Andy and Brindley. Thank you all for thank being you. on. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Thanks for mugging for the camera, Brindley. You can go. Okay, I'm going to bring TJ up at this point, and here's what we're going to do. I want to, uh, his number is here, and as we ask some questions about calling and vocation and following Jesus, if you have any questions, you can text him, and um, he will ask me. Thank you. Is this mine? Okay, cool. Um, yeah, you were, get, you were getting a little froggy. I know, I know. I'm, I'm always a little froggy. So, okay. So, TJ, you have a series of questions you want to ask me. This is kind of free-flowing, but if you have any questions, you can text that to the screen, and he would be happy to chime in. This is going to be more of an interactive message the yeah, rest of the way. Yeah, let me find. I just sent it to you, too. Let me find 
all the questions I have. I guess my first question while I'm looking for the questions that I wrote was, uh, because I come from a different context, what exactly does froggy mean, like if you're feeling froggy? Oh. Like if I go to South Dallas, hang out with some friends, and I go, hey, I'm feeling froggy. Have you ever heard the phrase or the expression, if you're feeling froggy, then jump? No. That's what people uh -uh. No, it's not. Has everybody heard that? Nobody else has heard that? David's heard that? When I'm ready to fight somebody, oh. and somebody's threatening me, well, if you're feeling froggy, then jump. Like, so preaching today, you're feeling angry. No, no, I'm just ready to jump. I'm okay. just ready to All know. right. Well, I noticed that because our question time went from like 20 minutes to 10 minutes because of that, but that's okay. No, no, no that's we're good. good. We're yeah. good. So here's what we're going to do. I, uh, we've compiled like a list of 100 questions through this series that we're going to whittle down, probably take the most important, but we will stop. If anything confused you during the series or you had more questions, please text and we'll try to work it in. And we'll if have you, to stop at 5 p.m. because we have the business. This is so. true, yes. We can sit and talk about this all day. Yeah. Okay, here's the first question I have. Okay. Uh, maybe we can talk about this and people can just think about it. We went through a lot of weeks. Mm -hmm. Called the, the call for all of us as Christians is simply just to follow Jesus. It's not a job. It's not a position. It's not preaching. So that's probably the biggest myth. Out of all the weeks we have talked, what's been your favorite week? Yeah, there's, uh, um, there's a scripture verse. I, I, I and if you guys want to text what your favorite week, week is as well, too, um, please I let us know. This and, uh, I this, and I want to just read it to you. Uh, Paul says this in, to the Thessalonians in 4.9 of his first letter. He says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, which Paul's go, basically going, you know, this idea of love. I don't have to say you need to love somebody. That should be written on your heart. Mm. But then he goes, for indeed, it, it, that, is what, that is indeed what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And really that, that idea is um, God moves in the ordinary. And um, yeah, so we, we did, a, thank you, the, out of all nine, that was the good one. <laughs> um, but God moves in the ordinary. And I do think sometimes we, especially as Pentecostals, expect are calling to have extraordinary, vibrant, crazy moments. Right, but sometimes right, God right. just works in the ordinary ways in your life. Um, mowing your neighbor's lawn, being kind to the mailman when he leaves a package in the rain, being, you know, all those just being, things. Being a witness. Just being, being a witness. Being a witness, yeah. So a couple we've got already is some of their favorites. Uh, this person's favorite uh, ser ser Sunday out of this series is next week, um, which we haven't started that one yet, but it's going to be a good one. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, Living, living in exile, living as Christians in exile mm -hmm. has been a good one. It's probably been my favorite one. Here's a good question maybe that just um, building off of that, that's your favorite, living in the ordinary God. We look for these extraordinary moments, but the majority of our Christian life is just meant to bring God into the ordinary. Yeah. If you could sit down with anybody in this church, anybody in our church, any random stranger, no holds bar, filters off, and you just want to tell them this is the one thing they need to know out of this entire series and just following Jesus. They won't get offended at you. Oh, okay. They'll keep giving their tithes to the church. Good. They won't leave the church, but you just want to shake people and say, you need to know this. Yeah, for me, it would be stop being consumed with yourself. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I just cannot tell can, you. Can you give an example of how that would look like? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've... I've had people in church before 
slide these giant checks to me and then they go, Pastor, I would be a great board member. Mm. Here's a check. Mm. Uh, Man, stop thinking it's all about you and you can be selfish and all this kind of stuff. Uh, It's not about you. One thing that I've really tried here at this church is not making it about me. Like I... I do have this ickiness to me of this yeah. great man theory in the yeah. pulpit. Yeah. Um, and Almost I, like a personality-driven type right. church, right? I, I, like, I get it. I, you know, people want to hear me preach because they've been used to it. I preach 40, sometimes 50 times a year. Mm-hmm. I get that. But at the same time, um, you have gifts. Andy has gifts. Brinley has gifts. The entire staff, and, and I know what's going to happen. They're about to blow up your phone and say, <laughs> you didn't mention my gifts. What's up with that? But yeah. we all have yeah. various gifts. And so what happens, what, the thing that corrupts the church more than anything is the sin of selfishness. That's what splits churches. That's what loses its gospel effectiveness. Is when, if we all come in and go, I, we, it's got to be about me. Pastor, you didn't sing my favorite song this week. Mm. You didn't preach my favorite verse this week. The coffee was average this week. Uh, all, the, all those stupid things that we make it about us and not about him. Even sometimes our worship songs are about how good of a worshiper I am to Jesus, right? And, and even that feels, feeds our ego of making us feel like we're great. So I would just say, you've got to focus on what Jesus says, which is to deny and die to self. And that happen, has to happen daily, and it has to happen as you walk in this door. So thinking about that, we're sitting back November, December. I think, you know, I was here maybe a week on staff at the church, mm-hmm. and we're planning preaching for this next year, right? We're, what are we going to talk about? We're praying about it, and, I don't, and, and we're, what are we going to give our time to? This idea comes up. Yeah. We want to undo all of the myths of what it means to follow Jesus and what we could accidentally be doing. Mm-hmm. Why, in the end, did we choose this one for this church? COVID, maybe. Um, can, you, be, can you explain? Yeah. Uh, the challenges with COVID in the church, like I, I get that the online platform is a great tool for right. you to stay connected right. during COVID. I, I, I get that. Do I think that you deciding to stay in an online community post-COVID is the best thing for you in the body of Christ? No, I don't. We're called to one another. We have to interact with one another. Even, even sociologically and psychologically, we have to connect with one another. And so I, I think COVID really drove that a little bit because I was seeing a lot, number one, I was seeing a lot of, um, uh, quite frankly, some selfishness with people. Mm. I was seeing... Um, in our Christian expression. Uh, in, in our Christian, in our Christian expression, expression. I was seeing, I, I mean, it just seems like uh, the last year, and I was pretty bold early on. I'm not bold right now. But I think the last year has revealed to us that people have lost their minds, right? And, and, I that, mean, and that selfishness shows up of what you said and how we choose a church. Yeah. How we might leave a church. Yeah. We might get mad at things. We thought about a lot of titles for this series. Mm-hmm. One of them was called. Mm-hmm. We really like that one mm-hmm. because we all have this calling. Reevaluating misconceptions, myth conceptions. Why did we settle on undoing? 
Because I think there's layers upon layers upon layers of this stuff that has been built in us over the last 30 to 40 years. Mm. This didn't happen in just one night. This didn't happen just with COVID. COVID allowed some of that expression to come out. So I've had, when I walked through the doors for the very first time, I felt like the church has drifted from biblical concepts and adapted more cultural concepts. And and I think we see that a lot in that now there's a lot of voices. I mean, I can go online and find any famous, like you said, preacher that looks good, sounds good. And, And one of the sayings that we talked about that we did mention is we will find a preacher to make us feel good, but won't sit in a place and let a pastor sharpen and correct us. Yeah, so they're going to kill me for this, but (laughs) um, like with my parents, I'm one of like three or four services that they watch on Sunday, and I'm I'm told I'm like their third favorite preacher, which is kind of offensive as as parents, but I I kid a little bit. But I'm I'm one of many, and and yes, that's great that you're allowing someone from Atlanta to speak into your life or North Carolina or, or Tulsa. That's great that you're allowing that. But it still stops short of developing you in Christian maturity. Yeah. It just, it just yeah. does. Yeah. Because Christian maturity does happen within the context of this room with, with each other having to get along. One of the reasons that I, I really want us to be a diverse body of believers is so that it challenges us to think biblically and not think culturally. Yeah, it's a diversity of voices. Yeah. Yeah. All right, here's a fun question. Okay. Your Christian life, you've been saved, you've been a Christian how long? Off and on. Off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> More on than off. Yeah, I always, okay, okay, I always good, target good. my, uh, my uh, salvation experience to June 19th. Uh, 1994, and the reason I always remember it is because it's right around the OJ chase, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. I remember the OJ um, chase. so we watched uh, it in class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people <laughs> cheering. Claire and I were actually talking about it the other day. She was asking me questions about it. So always target that date. So uh, what is that? Uh, it's a long time. Almost 30 years. Yeah, yeah. almost 30 years. Yeah, a long time for all of the young people that are in here listening to us. So, uh, if if you were to sit and reflect, you personally on your Christian life, mm-hmm. right? What would you say is the biggest myth that you believed and maybe you're even embarrassed to talk about? And I'll share mine. I have a really embarrassing one. So, okay, so I grew up in a church that if you prayed longer, prayed harder, raised your voice, read more scriptures, mm, then yeah, more of yeah. the spectacular would happen for you. Almost right? like you, gotta, you just got to pray or love yeah, Jesus like, harder to get like, your answer. It, that's kind of all of Pentecost, right? If I just raise my voice louder, then, then I'm going to have some sort of experience that transcends me. And so I grew up that way. So, um, you know, we, I pastor, okay, the, I, I pastor an above size church, right? Uh, the average sure. size church yeah, in America sure. is about 80. So I pastor an above size church, but um, all my best friends pastor churches of two and three and four and 5,000 people. And so, what I used to think in ministry, if, if, if I just prayed more, mm. then God's going to bless me more. Because we connect, we connect that if we do the right things, right. then right and good things will always happen to us. Right. And yeah. so the, the, the idea is... At least in our Christian life. Yeah. For yeah. me, the myth was always, if, if, I just, if I just do more, which is work, which is this 
works-based gospel, then Jesus is going to love me more. And therefore, I love my kids. And when I love my kids, I want to do more things for them, right? I've actually heard that preach. God loves you and he wants to do all this stuff for you. And and it's really this consumeristic individualism. Um, And so what, what what I battled with is that a large part of Christianity, please don't misunderstand me, is ordinary. Yeah. I would dare say it's boring, right? right? There, I wake up in the morning, I do the same stuff, I go see the same people, I minister to people, I go home, I love my kids, I kiss my wife, I pat the dog on the head, and then I go to bed, right? And, and it's just, it can be monotonous. And so what I was instinctively taught is that God wants to do great things in you and through you and so life is an adventure. When you come to Jesus, all your problems will go away and it will be exciting and da 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 on and on it goes. And the longer I went in my Christian experience, I'm like, well, that's a lie. Like, yeah, I, there are times I have to just mow the lawn. Well, I don't. I, I, <laughs> I have allergies, so I can't mow the lawn. But, you know... <laughs> But yeah, I'm on my lawn. I actually enjoy mowing my lawn. It's I really, hate it. It's really soothing. I absolutely you know, I get out it. there. I meditate on scriptures. I pretend I make, yeah. like I get sick. I, I put dirt in my nose, and I come in, and I'm like, Rachel, I, just, I can't do this anymore. It's terrible, right? Do you and resource it out, or do you make your kids mow the lawn? Resource it out? Is that a fancy way of saying, do I hire people to yes. mow my lawn? Yes. yes. <laughs> I hire people to mow my lawn. My girls wouldn't know how to start a lawnmower. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I had to mow the lawn in the summertime as a kid and shaking the bag in the grass. The first time my kids were able to mow the lawn, I made them get out and mow. So well, we, we all have allergies. Oh, so, okay, my biggest myth. The biggest myth that I believed, and this is probably where I still struggle with, kind of what you said, is I have, like, I had a, there's a point in my Christian life where I really had a hard time rejoicing with those who were rejoicing when that wasn't happening to me. Oh, wow. Yeah, does that make sense? So if somebody gets a new job or a promotion, you're not yeah. rejoicing with them, you're begrudging them. Right, right. And, I'm, and then I start almost having the sense of condemnation because, I mean, I'm praying as well, right? Yeah. And then why, I think, why didn't I get the job? Right. Yeah, I right, got you. Right, right. I got you. Let's talk about passion a little bit. Okay. Because we, we hear the word passion. You said a couple of weeks ago on the 14th and today, passion plus location equals your vocation. Mm-hmm. And vocation doesn't necessarily mean occupation. Right. You know, vocation is something completely different, and we tie the two today. What if your here's a question that came in from a first-time caller, long-time listener. Okay. What if you feel, <laughs> what if you feel your passion is not something that easily translates into serving the church, aka healthcare workers, first responders, teachers, and so forth, and what have you? I got a good answer for that, but do you want to take that? Yeah. So I will. Uh, I'll use my wife as an example, right? Okay. Um, Rachel is never going to hold a microphone or rarely hold a microphone. She doesn't want to speak. She doesn't want to preach. She doesn't want to be co-pastor. Nothing like that. I mean, she's just... First lady. We're not giving her the first lady title. Don't call her first lady. (laughs) Don't call her pastor Rachel. She doesn't want to do anything like that. So she had a calling uh, when you're 14. You felt at 14 that she wanted to go in the medical field. She now is a medical doctor. You you know that. I'm a doctor myself. I have to say that alongside. (laughs) But... um, which nope. gives you even more reason to say you can't mow the lawn. Right, yeah, right, right. Because you got right. allergies, yeah. But um, so she is, she's a healthcare worker, and I think there are times it is difficult to translate it, but for her, 
what she's just done is I'm going to make myself available. Like if people call and ask me a question, I'm going to see that as my ministry. When she saw patients in the clinic, she would pray with them. Um, you know, she has maybe a little bit tighter restrictions doing telemedicine because she's working for a company. So, but when she sees an open door, she takes it and she'll pray with people. But she sees it ultimately, her gifting is, uh, as a doctor, is an expression of the gospel. So she's going to freely give that away. Now, Jason would like to charge co-pays to people who come up to her in the grocery store and ask her questions. But she just freely gives it away um, when she can. So that's how, that's one example of maybe how you can um, use your gifting in, in an ordinary way that may not necessarily translate. I, I'm looking over here, Olga just stepped out, but Olga uh, is an artist. And so when she uses her, she tries to use her art for the glory of God. And, and we may go, well, that doesn't seem like it would be really a gifting. No, some of her paintings that people have really minister to people's hearts and souls. So uh, don't look at it as you're trapped in a box, but maybe sit there and pray and go, God, I, this seems unique, but so how can I make it work within the context of the local community, and then maybe ask questions too. Yeah, I would, uh, I, I would say on that question in particular, and I wish we can, um, man, just take time and spend an entire day and talk about this, but I, I think it, it comes to following Jesus. If you look at the pattern of Jesus in the New Testament, and I would really have to think hard about this, but I really think even through the Old Testament, there's this pattern of God showing up in their people's day. When Jesus told the fishermen, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, yeah. his first, his first, his first, kind of invitation was just to follow me and then I will make you whatever your occupation is for the greater community of humanity. Yeah. And so if we're a healthcare worker, I do know of one friend that we had in particular that really felt that they needed to be a, a, a medical professional. They went to school for it. They struggled with it. They, they're still doing it. But in the end, they realized, you know what, I'm, I'm really about making people whole. So in every space, even outside of my nine to five. Yeah. You know, I, I'm making people whole in my nine to five, but even above and beyond with my neighbors, with my kids, within my church community, I need to respond and make people whole as a whole okay. in every space. That's good. Um, so well, yeah, we've, we've got about five more minutes. I see Tanya looking back there, who's our children's director. We're about yes, five, we get, seven minutes. Kids I'm are just having a breakdown. Yeah, kids are like. Okay, so let's stuff. go to this because we have a lot of questions. Okay. I, there's a section here that we've titled "Asking for a Friend." Yes. Okay. And um, so let's ask this for a friend. I'm, 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 I'm hearing this message about following Jesus, having a call. Uh, I'm sitting in the congregation or I'm watching online. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be a minister. I'm retired. Mm -hmm. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm an empty nester. Mm -hmm. I'm a student. Mm -hmm. I'm working a regular job that's not my occupation that I want to be. Where do I start? Where do I start following, continuing to follow Jesus where I'm at? Um... Again, it's about location. So let me take the example of the stay-at-home mom, right? Um, that in and of itself is a ministry. And that ministry is to your kids, right? So it's the ordinary. Yeah, your congregation are those two or three little ones that you see every day. And the way you live your life, the way you love them, the way you care for them, the way you speak to them, all is your calling within that context, right? Um, so... Maybe you haven't done this as a stay-at-home mom, but maybe the next step for you in this is to simply pray and go, God, how can I start living this calling out with my kids, right? 
here's a very practical step. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you've never done a devotion with your kids. Well, try to do a devotion one time this week. Don't put, that, that, that's some of the problems too, is I think we put these massive, massive expectations and we go, well, I've got, I, I'm called to be a stay-at-home mom, so now I need to do seven devotions a week with my kids. Don't, just right. try one, right? Try one and, and, and allow God to use you in those moments. Yeah. So I would say, man, if I can answer that question, and maybe you jump in here and correct me or, or encourage the direction, I would say it always comes to just continuing to find out who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. You have to know the gospel. You have to know what the New Testament writers wrote, and it's a, it's a continual, never-ending process. Focus on the first things you, and the next things Yeah, you got to constantly figure out what you can do where you're at. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's, here's another question, and I think maybe we'll end with this, and then we'll go into our response time. Um, what do I make of the digging deeper that we get every week. Is that a good place to start? Yeah, that's a great place to start because I, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, every year I'll start a Bible reading plan, right? And then I get off track. And then, <laughs> <laughs> I, this is a confession of a pastor, right? I, I'll miss a couple of days and then I'm behind. I'm like, oh my goodness, what do I do? And, yeah. and when I wasn't in ministry and I, like, I tried to, I would try to take advantage of tools and what, we, what we're trying to create here in our church is for everything to have some synergy behind it, right? We know that people have busy lives. We know that you're not professionals at this. You don't have time to Google what's the best devotional uh, route to take. So what we've tried to create with Digging Deeper is some sort of synergistic approach from what you hear on Sunday morning trickles out throughout the rest of the week. And so those are good places to start. We try to create some stimulating uh, questions and, and have conversation, but that's a, that's some a reflection yeah. questions as well, too. It's Absolutely. just connecting us back to here. You can, like you said, with the, with the watching YouTube and, and different types of preachers and three services, you can walk into the Christian bookstore and for whatever problem you have, there's something from the Bible, herbs from the Bible that'll solve things. But <laughs> for us in the Christian community, in our local church context, what we're hearing, what we're teaching, it connects us back to what's there and we're just learning scripture. Yeah. The end of this series is just going to be us saying this. The call for us, whether we, we accepted it 30 years ago or last week, is just to keep following Jesus continually. Yeah.